welcome everybody. Today, this is going to be our first episode, our first installment of what we're calling Across the Tape. So Across the Tape is where we're going to take a deep dive into a specific investment, either a stock, a mutual fund, or an ETF. But we'll get into the specifics of the merits or non-merits of, of that particular right. investment. So today, we'll have a discussion about a couple of companies that I have to say we're all incredibly familiar with and probably deeply affectionate about. So, Joe, what are we talking about here today? Right. So, um, you know, the saying goes, never fall in love with a stock because it will never develop feelings for you. That said, I can't help but being deeply, deeply affectionate for MasterCard and Visa, two terrific firms hiding in plain sight in the technology ecosystem. So uh, we'll talk about these two payment system stocks here today and um, what gives them so much sizzle. Joe, do you love them because you use them so frequently or... Is it more of a professional love that you have for these? Well, certainly professional because every time you pull out the Visa card, you know, money is flying away from you, right? But professionally speaking, and from an investment standpoint, you could do no worse than than concentrating on firms that have this winner-take-all dynamic that we mentioned in our previous episode. Um, and Visa and MasterCard just just provide a terrific example of of that winner-take-all um, theory that is evident in some areas of technology, Visa and MasterCard being in the payment systems there. Sort of in preparation for this conversation, you know, looked over some statistics yeah. and realized that by the time I finish this sentence, these few seconds of this sentence, mm-hmm. the global payments firm Visa will process 67,000 transactions and move over $4.5 million across their payment. Right. That volume is unbelievable. The volume is unbelievable. And if you think about these payment networks, so money moving from point A to point B, it's if you envision a railroad where the rail cars never stop, that's, that's what Visa and MasterCard – that's what they have set up. So Visa and MasterCard running these payment systems where they're moving money from, like we said, point A to point B. It's usually point of sale. So from a consumer to a merchant, but it can be business to business. And what we've seen really since eBay came into being is from person to person. So I'm buying something from another person off of eBay. I need to send them some money. Um, I don't want to write them a check and mail it. That's a pain. So now we have person to person. So these payment networks, the movement of money is what Visa and MasterCard specialize in. But it is like a railroad where the cars never stop. I can take an even deeper dive into some of the statistics because they're they're pretty astounding. Visa alone, I'll just throw them out there. 4.3 billion Visa cards across the world. 212 billion transactions per year. $14.8 trillion worth of volume. That's a lot of zeros. It's a lot of zeros. 130 million merchants. They are in 200 countries around the world. MasterCard, the smaller of the two, but Visa and MasterCard run a duopoly, as they say. Yeah. So there are two players there. No one else is even close. MasterCard has 1.46 billion cards, 125.7 billion transactions per year, $8.2 trillion in volume. So Visa and MasterCard together, 
over five, almost 6 billion cards, almost 400 billion transactions, and almost $25 trillion of volume moved 24-7. They're ubiquitous, right? Right. They're, they're everywhere. And right. I think you described it pretty accurately at the beginning of this episode. They're hiding in plain sight. We we right. don't even think about them anymore. Right. And you know, they're facilitating essentially this cashless, painless way of processing transactions. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, it all started with what we called what they called years ago the death of cash. So back in the early to mid 2000s, the use of cash and checks, so paper money, was starting to decline so quickly that it was going down by 20 the use of those was going down by 20% a year. So it was really falling off a cliff because using cards was so quick, easy, you didn't have to carry cash, you wouldn't lose your checkbook. Remember those days? Mm-hmm. And then with COVID, how many firms went cashless, right? Um, I remember my wife and I flying on, I think, Frontier Airlines somewhere in the mid 2000 and teens. And there they said, we are a cashless airline. So no paper money at all, which sure made it easy from our perspective, you know, sure. bring a couple cards on the plane yeah. and off we go. Yeah. So the death of cash is what started it. And then COVID really accelerated the use of non-cash transactions and payment systems. Visa and MasterCard already in position there. And they have been the beneficiaries of this dynamic that has changed the way you pay for things. It's one thing to think about the volume of transactions that these companies are facilitating. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's mind boggling, the numbers. Mm-hmm. But beyond just, you know, the, these huge numbers of transactions that they're facilitating, what makes them an attractive investment? Yeah. So, you know, I'm looking at a profile, a one-page profile of Visa and, and one of MasterCard as well. And there's, there's a, a lot of merit to both companies, but there's four things that jump off the page to me. First of all, from a business perspective, if you look at revenue by quarter, Visa and MasterCard do not have a seasonality to their revenues. You know, you might automatically think, well, the revenues are way higher in November, December because of the holidays. It's not really quite true. It's a little higher. It's about 31% of their revenues occur in the fourth quarter of the year. So it's slightly higher, but not that much higher. If the average is 25% a quarter, it's a little higher in the holidays, but not really. So there's a lack of seasonality there. The second one for me, for both of these companies, like a lot of technology firms, the profit margins are sky high. So looking at 2022, the last full calendar year, MasterCard's operating margin was 57%. Visa's was 67%. Just to give put that in perspective, the average company in the S&P 500 is 17 so you're getting more than three times the profit margin for these companies. So an unbelievable amount of free cash flow from both of those firms. It's just a profitable business. Um, the third one that jumps out at me is return on equity. And return on equity is a big Warren Buffett principle. And I love to use it. It doesn't work for every single type of company, but in technology, it does. What return on equity is, is... When a company reinvests 
its resources back in the company, what is their return? Okay. So if I own a stock, I know what my return is, okay, by investing my capital in it. But if Visa or MasterCard or Apple or whomever, when they take their earnings, when they take their loans, when they take whatever resources they have and invested in the business, what's their return? And the return on equity tells you that. And for both MasterCard and Visa, it's also sky high. Um, MasterCard's return on equity has been in excess of 100% for six straight years running, which is um, off the charts. Um, Visa being being a little a little bigger, um, it's not going to be quite as high for Visa. It has been above 36% for the last seven years running. Last year was 46%. So Visa gets 46% return on the capital they invest back into their business. Those are great track records. They're terrific track records. It shows an unbelievable amount of, of execution by their leadership. It shows that they know where the strengths are in the business and where to go find market share. And it shows that they know how to use a dollar. And so you're just piggybacking on that execution. And if the return on equity for a company is high, your stock returns are going to follow suit if you just if you're patient enough. So some terrific numbers jumping off the page there. The last one is a little bit of a smaller one, kind of on a micro level, but both companies have been slowly reducing the number of shares outstanding or the float, as we say. So the float is the number of shares outstanding in the marketplace. Both companies have been buying back shares over the last seven to eight years consistently. Five years ago, MasterCard had one point zero five billion shares in their float. Now it's 952 million. So it's come down about 10% or so. Same thing for Visa. Um, Their shares five years ago, 2.3 billion shares in the float. Now it's 2 billion shares in the float. So as the number of shares shrink, your percentage of the profit grows. So you own, you have a greater representation of the ownership there. Everyone likes stock splits because, hey, I have more shares, but your your earnings don't change. But buybacks can really be profitable. It depends on when the company buys the shares back. If they do it when it's cheap, it's even better. But I don't want to see the number of shares just blossoming like weeds in a field. If anything, I'd like to see it stay steady. So again, Two companies showing they can execute and the number of shares is slowly shrinking. And how has their performance for those shares done over the last few years? It's really been dynamite. Both shares are in the upper teens as an average annual return over the last 10 years. I don't think with payment systems, I think what you're buying there is a great deal of consistency. You know, when a company unveils a new product, there can be a surge in return if they buy a new if they acquire a business that adds a tremendous injection of cash flow, you can see a big pop on the stock. If a pharmaceutical company has has their um, has a drug approved by the FDA, sure. big pop. You won't see that with Visa and Mastercard. It's very incremental, but it's consistent. So I think right. that for them, it means the the bad years aren't so bad. The good years are pretty good. They're going to hit a lot of singles and doubles. They might lag the growth indexes at some points, but over time, the consistency there is going to want to, is what's going to really make them shine. And again, it's, it's a not a sexy business payment systems. We're just moving money around kind of sleepy, but from again, a consistent high return on equity perspective, um, these two are almost in a class by themselves. 
anything else you want to talk about? <laughs> you know, that you hear, um, I think one of the things, one of the things that makes them attractive, and this is really important, is what they don't do. And what they don't do is provide credit. So when you swipe a Visa card, you are not borrowing money from Visa. It's a bank that is using a Visa branded card and the bank provides the credit and you pay the bank back and so on and so forth. So when you get your MasterCard bill, it comes from somebody else. I have a, a store branded MasterCard and when the statement comes, it comes from Capital One. So I'm borrowing Capital One's money and then paying them back. Credit is a great business when the economy is good, when people can pay their loans back. It's not a great business when things go bad, no. when you get delinquencies, charge-offs, you got to send things to collections. Yeah. It's a loss for you. So it's a very cyclical business. Capital One, Discover, American Express are all in the credit business in addition to the payment networks. Visa and MasterCard say, hey, we just move the money from A to B, but we'll help all these businesses with branded cards and so on and so forth. We just don't want to do the credit. So I think what they don't do is as attractive as what they do do, and they do it well. Well, it makes that business model a little bit more bulletproof, right? I agree. I agree. So let's take the risk and put it someplace else. Let somebody else handle that. Absolutely. Absolutely. For our very first installment of Across the Tape, this has been a great discussion around two companies that are sort of like, as Joe said, hiding right out there in plain sight and something we should probably uh, be keeping an eye on. So thanks for tuning in for uh, this installment of Across the Tape. We'll look forward to talking to you again in the near future. Sounds great. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Seven Hills Podcast. For more information or to subscribe, visit Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast feed. For more information about our firm, please visit sevenhillscapitaladvisors.com. This podcast contains general information that is not suitable for every investor and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. There is no guarantee that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast will come to pass. Investing in the stock market involves gains and losses and may not be suitable for all investors. Information presented herein is subject to change without notice and should not be considered as a solicitation to buy or sell any securities.